everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. My name is Grant. I'm your host today. With me, I've got Captain Hane Griffin. He is a uh, captain in Asheville, North Carolina. We're going to be talking about a grab they made on November 3rd, 2023. So, Hane, welcome to uh, the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Grant. Thanks a lot for having me on. Happy New Year, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Asheville. Um, so I've been in the fire service for 17 years. I worked for the city of Asheville for 15, um, the city of Asheville, we're the largest city in the Appalachian mountains. Um, so the city itself is about a hundred thousand people, but because it's, it's, it's a, it's a hub in terms of uh, all the jobs, the, the city will swell to almost 300,000 during the day. Um, but we run 13 stations in the city. Um, we recently opened our 13th. The city is growing and expanding quite a bit, particularly on the south side. And that's where I work. I, I cut my teeth. Uh, I was, I'm a truckie. I cut my teeth downtown on the, on the ladder truck. And then when I promoted into an officer's position, I moved to the south side. And I captain a quint. So we're, uh, we're doing both engine company and ladder company ops um, in our station. We're, we're a single piece station. Nice. What do you guys get on a like a regular alarm structure fire? Single family residential, nothing crazy. Right. Yep. So um, when that goes out, we're going to be getting three engines. We'll get one truck. We get one RIT company. Let me put an asterisk on that. We can kind of come back to that RIT piece. Um, we get a, a heavy rescue. We get a tanker. So because Asheville's an older city, our water supply can be sometimes un unpredictable. So even though it may be a hydrated area, we bring our tanker in with us. You two battalion chiefs. One is going to serve as the incident commander once they arrive. That initial company officer, like a lot of municipalities, is going to be that fast attack IC that's there at the beginning. The second BC is usually going to head to a different division. If it's the Charlie side, maybe if it's a larger building inside, to be eyes and ears as a as a division boss. We have two safeties. One safety is going to roam, um, making sure everybody is operating as safely as possible. The second safety serves as a chief's aide. For the IC and we get a fire marshal. That's that initial um, box that we get. When that arriving officer calls a working fire, they will balance that assignment. And when that si assignment's balanced, we get two extra engines and a truck. Um, we send a RIT company and I, that may be unique um, for some um, that, are, that are listening. Our, in 2000, see July 28th, 2011, we lost Captain Jeff Bowen uh, in a mid-rise fire. And that started a really um, robust RIT culture within our department. So our RIT companies are three different engines. Our city has three battalions, and in each battalion, there's an engine designated for RIT. If they're responding in their battalion, um, usually they'll operate as engine company and we'll pull from a different, a different battalion. But uh, we do have a dedicated engine company coming in as RIT, and those guys are, are trained to carry RIT bags, they carry K-12s, all the tools that they need to soften the, the structure in case of the RIT activation. What's your staffing like? Are so you we staff four, four or three? or We're a four. Yeah. So we staff four on every single rig um, from the trucks to the engines, um, our rescues. We have a squad as well. So we are a, a, we staff with four. That's our minimum. We don't operate a truck without four. Nice. And then you, you'd mentioned squads and rescues. What, do, what are those? Because it's, it's very regional. Yeah, it is. So, um, so our rescue... It's evolving into a heavy, it's been a medium rescue, evolving into a heavy rescue, staff of four guys. Our squad, so our squad, and that's a great question because squads do vary. Um, it is a, 
they are a technical rescue company, but their apparatus has a pump on it, has water as well. And, and they're, they're kind of a, a utility player, similar to a Quint in that you, a, a Quint's utility, we can work as a ladder company, we can work as an engine company based on what the IC wants. The squad can work as an engine company if they need to. They can marry up with a truck company. They can work with the rescue company. So um, that's how our squads, uh, our squad is located right in the heart of downtown as well. And uh, our rescue is just right outside of the heart of downtown. So um, unlike our rescue truck, our squad does have a hose line, a pump, and a tank. Nice. Uh, so since we're talking about search, who's doing your searches for your department? So our searches, um, so we have a pretty pretty robust um, search culture. We're all taught from rookie school, everyone's searching, whether you're the engine company, obviously the truck company is going to be dedicated to search, but we teach our engine, our engine guys, when you're, when you're going into a burning building, your obvious job is to push towards a fire. You're looking for the seat of the fire, fighting fire, but also to be scanning and looking as you're going. Don't get so focused on the fire that you're actually missing things that are around you as you're making that push. Um, our rescue companies can search our squads as well. So um, even though we, we do work dedicated as engine companies, your fire suppression, truck companies, your vent and search, and they pretty much carry those roles. We see search as everybody's responsibility when you're in the building. Um, if you're on the hose line, you're looking, you're searching you know, around as you're pushing. And then um, obviously our dedicated truck companies, uh, rescues, those guys are doing like much more thorough searches. And depending on the building, depending on the officer and the crew, the officers given this option, they can lead either a direct search or a lead search. So a direct search being more where you're going to have that officer and almost uh, their firefighters like ducklings behind them searching, which we would do more in a commercial structure versus a directed search. Um, I, sure I said that right. Lead would be <laughs> our guy with the ducklings. Directed search would be an officer comes in, let's say in a residential, he can be within at least, at least least earshot of those firefighters to say, Hey, you search this room, you search this room. I'm going to be in the hallway right between you. You can talk to me. We can talk to one another. And we've found in residential uh, settings that searching that way is extremely effective when we do those directed searches really, really quick and thorough. Who? So you guys arrive on scene with four, are you guys splitting it all and going two and two or how does that look? Right. So yeah, awesome question. So that initial um, <clears throat> officer that's coming in, they may choose to split their crew. It all depends on what what how the building's presenting, what exactly we have. And that depends on the company officer to make that decision. Uh, that, that company officer is going to know their crew and know what they're capable of doing. Uh, we may see that most frequently with ladder companies, where a ladder company may be split two two. Um, two are going to search immediately. The other two are going to go to the roof and start um, getting ready for a potential vertical ventilation a scenario, or at least getting eyes on the roof. Um, and also the IC. So the IC can make that call as well. So once that battalion chief arrives, they get a good CAN report. They assume command at that point. They know their companies. They may decide in this situation, I'm going to split this crew. And that's generally going to be a ladder company that gets split, where they may be doing, you know, a one venting, one searching. Um, our engine companies usually are going to stick together, though. They're going to be focused on fire suppression. I think one last question. How are your assignments divvied up? Do you got a playbook that you guys run from or IC driven or combination? Of in, both? in terms of assignments um, on the truck itself or as far as the overall fire ground? Overall fire ground. Uh, yeah. So as far as, as assignments go, that 
um, that first arriving company um, is usually going to be an engine company. Um, and their, their first task is going to be fire suppression. That's what they're going to be doing is pulling a line. We'll usually have a truck company pretty close behind them. Uh, depending on uh, where the battalion chief's located, let's say that the battalion chief is, is, is running with, you know, they're in station with that company. The battalion chief may arrive immediately. They're going to take instant command immediately. But as far as how we divvy up those tasks, our truck companies, um, let's say we're on a, a truck company usually will be assigned to search first. Um, second due coming in will be assigned to getting a roof report. If it's a smaller structure, we may have the truck company split and they're going to, one's going to uh, take some roof ops. The other one's going to take search. Engines are going to be dedicated to fire suppression uh, more than likely. Um, but the IC does have the flexibility if they do feel like we're getting a good knock on the fire suppression is taken care of to send an engine company in to, to assist with search with those truck companies. Um, same for our rescue, same for our squad. So those initial trucks that arrive are going to have very specific assignments as other trucks arrive, if they're needed, if necessary, um, we have a really strong culture of not packing a building full of, you know, everybody just wants to jump in the building. Everybody wants to get a piece of the action, which that turns into freelancing really quick. We become very disciplined to say, Hey, those first three companies are going to be doing specifically what they're trained to do, what they're supposed to do as an apparatus. The other companies are going to come on deck. That'll include a company. And then based on the needs, those companies are at the, the call of the IC to serve in, in whatever capacity they're needed. Does that answer your question? It does. You awesome. said the, the magic word on deck. Are you guys blue card or is that just a term that you guys use? <laughs> so we've been using blue card for a few years now. Yeah. Yeah, we have. So that's, that is blue card language. Um, we we use it that way, um, and we do use blue card in our size ups and our organization on the fire ground. Cool. All right. Uh, why don't you take us to your fire? Let's uh, let's hear what went down. Yeah. Right on, man. So um, it was an early morning fire, five approximately five fifteen a.m. in the morning. Um, we had just taken a a call about two hours prior um, for a CO activation. So. Uh, we weren't in a super deep sleep at that point. We had just arrived back, um, maybe had been back in bed for an hour. Uh, this one came in. It came in immediately as a residential structure fire. We knew the address. Um, uh, we know our district pretty well, and this is a, a building that we're in pretty often. It's a duplex, and the duplex is used uh, for recovering veterans. So veterans that come back from war, uh, many of them, um, are struggling with substance abuse. They get into a program where they can work through that. And if they get, you know, so far in the program are doing well, then they can, can live in these, these duplex homes. So when the address came in, we knew it. And then dispatch immediately gave us um, potential victim um, that was in the initial dis dispatch. We're up, we're out. This address is two miles from the station. We know exactly where we're going. Our battalion chief. So in our station, we are housed with battalion three. He was already gone on a mutual aid fire. So he was not in station. I don't know where he was. So I didn't know when we would, when we, we would be getting a battalion chief in to assume command from me. As we're en route, um, the battalion chief checks on scene. He was actually coming back from that mutual aid fire, was maybe a half a mile um, from, the, from the address when the dispatch came out. So he jumped in really quick. We hear his size up, uh, great size up told that there is heavy fire showing from not only the attic space, but also from the building itself and confirmed that he was with a bystander who was giving him really good intel that in the, in the bystanders um, were there is somebody living in that 
in that unit. So when we arrive, um, we get a great shot of it. We're kind of coming down the street. Asheville's super hilly because of the mountains. We're kind of coming down a long straightaway. We can see it. We have heavy fire uh, pushing out of the gable end. A pretty significant, it already self-vented. So a pretty significant hole, I'd say about a 10 by 10 hole out of that gable. Um, it's rocking. When we pull in, the initial size that's been done, our BC is meeting with the, the bystander who lives in the other duplex unit. We do a face-to-face um, and the bystander, it was kind of awesome. He was shirtless. He had, he had literally just ran out of the duplex um, and he was completely shirtless when, when we drove up. He was in his undies. I'm not exactly sure if he was in his whitey tidies or not, but in my mind's eye, it just makes the whole call so much more fun that we had a bystander there in his, in his whiteies. But um, you could tell he had, he had run out of the building. He had relayed that he had, he had heard an explosion in the neighboring unit. So that's obviously kind of in the back of our mind as well. We have a face-to-face with the BC. He's like, yeah, there's, he is almost near certain that someone's in that building. He said, I'm going to finish up a 360 real quick. You guys go ahead and get ready. Um, my two guys come off the back. My senior, he's an eight-year uh, eight year senior at Asheville, a hell of a nozzleman, I think one of the best in the city. He was on nozzle side that night. He comes off. We pack everything in Minutemen, at least our, our engine three, three-quarter laser Minutemen, really quick deployment. He was ready to go. Arriving in as we're driving, I let him know, hey, I think this is going to be an inch and three-quarter job. Go ahead and pull it. <clears throat> and then my guy, Ironside, he's one of my younger firefighters, but he came off of the rear company, super, super um, skilled uh, with a set of irons. So he came off with the irons, have a, a senior engineer, and we just so happened, it's very fortuitous, we had a plug right there in front of the truck. So my engineer um, go ahead, go, goes ahead, gets the, the pump fired up. He's catching that plug. My, um, my younger guy with the irons gets the door popped pretty quick. Our line's ready to go. When we open the door, personally, I like to give it about 30 seconds to breathe. I like to see what's happening once we open that door, just to give an idea of, are we getting a bi-directional vent right now? Are we getting a uni? Is that uni coming towards us? Is it going away from us? And again, the way that everything kind of presented and happened, because we had that really large vent in the gable already from the attic, when we opened that door, we had a unidirectional push inside, and we could actually start to see the smoke lift quite a bit, which, again, it just, it was, it was a perfect scenario, not only for us, but also for the victim inside. Uh, took the door, went right into the living space. This, these living spaces are kind of an open living room and a kitchen. Then in the back, there's a bathroom, kind of your standard small little tub, toilet, little pedestal sink, and then a small bedroom. We got in the living space and the kitchen was burning. Um, My senior got water on it really, really quick. And we, from my background, um, being involved in a lot of uh, aggressive firefights, I know at some point you flow enough water, you're going to have that thermal inversion that's going to happen. So I was in the back of my mind thinking, um, I hope we don't get too much thermal inversion immediately because of a potential Vic in here. He gets it knocked down pretty well. We can still see fire in the attic. I tell him to shut the line down because we hadn't inverted yet. He shut the line down. I felt comfortable at that point. You know, the old the famous saying we use in the fire service, we risk a lot, save a lot, you know, little, little, nothing for nothing. I felt like at that point we had an appropriate risk to do a really quick, hasty search. I moved past him. Um, I was second in line on that line. My my rookie was third shucking hose. 
I do a quick bump, get right into the bathroom and the victim's laying in the bathroom. He's, he's on the floor. He's face down, kind of wedged himself between the, the toilet and the tub. I call out to my guys. I've got a victim. I start to, I grab him by his belt loop, start to pull him to the threshold, to the threshold of the door. And Grant, it was, it was incredible. I, I literally looked up. And then when I looked back, looking for them, I kind of saw him when I looked back down, the Vic was gone. Like they had grabbed him so quickly and moved him out. It was one of those, oh, wow. Like he is, he's moving. Came right behind them. We took him outside. Um, didn't know if he was alive or not at that point. Moved him outside. I told my my senior with the nozzle, hey, stay here in the threshold. The door start, start not knocking this attic fire down. Took him to the yard and he was breathing. He was taking agonal breaths, deep breaths. They were spread out. Um, we immediately grabbed our med bag. We're pushing O2 to and through a bag valve. Next engine company arrives. This all happened super quick. Um, they have an advanced uh, advanced EMT on their rig. They then took over patient care. We went back in and, and knocked the rest of it out. So it was a, it was a pretty quick down and dirty job. Uh, what was what was the size of the victim? Great question. He was, I would say, approximately 150 pounds. And that that also was very fortuitous. He was easy to move, really easy to move, um, and particularly being wedged in that small bathroom. So small guy, we didn't have really we had, my guys had no issue at all getting him out um whatsoever. And um he did sustain. So he was sent uh, here where we're located. Our closest advanced burn center is in Augusta, Georgia. He was medevac to Augusta. To our knowledge, he's had 30 skin grafts, uh, had burns over 46% of his body, but he is alive, fully conscious, um, you know, former veteran or a veteran, former soldier, and is already busting balls with the nurses and doctors in, uh, in Augusta. So um, as far as we know, he's going to make a complete recovery. That's outstanding. Uh, going back to the victim, to the guys where they – they just grabbed his clothes. Was he slippery? Did you guys talk about that after? Or uh, we that, did. That... Yep. So what they did, um, we talked about it. They, they don't remember at the time him being particularly, particularly slippery. Uh, they just grabbed you know, his pants. He was wearing pants. So he was wearing pants and he was wearing a t-shirt. They grabbed pants. They pulled and they just grabbed his shirt and took him out. So they were holding onto his clothes. They, uh, once we got him out and we started bagging him, we could tell that the, his forearm skin was already starting to droop and, and, and melt off. Um, but everything happened so quickly. Their memory was just grabbing his clothes. That was the easiest thing to grab. We, we train a lot. So one of the things about our RIT companies, our rookies, we go through a lot of RIT training as well. So a lot of our guys, we're just, we are, uh, we're grabbing on to stuff that we know we can hold on to that we can grip really tight. That kind of becomes muscle memory for a lot of our firefighters. So um, that's what they grabbed when they pulled him out. So, um, yeah, it was mainly grabbing clothes. What was the distance from where you found him to getting him out, out the door? 20 feet, 25 feet. Um, these are small units, and we're in them quite a bit. So we know the layouts pretty well. It's almost like going into our, you know, we all have our burn buildings that we know super well. We can go in blindfolded. We can go in half asleep and walk through them and where they are. We know the unit pretty well. So um, I'd say it's about 20, 25 feet from the door. From the moment we made entry to knocking down fire, to shutting that line down, to get a quick hasty search, I say we we were in the building and out in approximately 60 seconds. It was really quick. Wow. Outstanding. Yeah. What about clutter? I hear a lot of 
firefighters who get on a fire and man, the latest thing is it's hoarder. And uh, <laughs> if it's not, it seems to be everybody immediately defaults to calling it hoarder. What was the clutter like uh, where you guys were at? Uh, I would kind of say standard clutter, maybe like a, uh, a college kid's dorm room kind of clutter. So he wasn't a hoarder. Um, we didn't have to deal with, uh, you know, a whole lot of objects to get through. There wasn't much in there. A lot of what we had to deal with was because that fire had gotten into the attic and there was already portions of drywall that were starting to fall. Um, we had a ceiling fan hanging right in front of our face. Once we got in, we had to jerk the ceiling fan down. So most of the clutter that we experienced was actually components of the building itself more than just actual, you know, possessions that the guy just had laying around. Um, I wouldn't, but stuff was cluttery, but it, I wouldn't call him a hoarder whatsoever, which again, also played into just uh, a very fortuitous for us to, to get in there and not have a whole lot of specific challenges to deal with. Now specifically running across that victim, when you found that victim, was it, uh, what were the smoke conditions like in there? Did you use a tick, hands, eyes? How'd you, how'd you run across them? Yep. So I, I carry a tick with me. I always come off the truck with a tick. I fire it up. Once we got into the building and we, we opened that door, we let it to breathe for a little bit and, and we could see the smoke rising. I feel like I didn't need a tick at all. So it's just all flashlight. We, we, there was enough visibility where our flashlights and our hands worked just fine. We could see probably... I don't know, eight to 10 feet in front of us without any problem at all. So when I got into the bathroom, right when I got down, he had had enough of the ceiling fall down on him that he was a little bit disguised. So when I got there, I began moving drywall. And the first thing I saw was the small of his back and I saw uh, his belt and belt loops. That was the first thing in my memory seeing that was like, oh, there's a person right here. Um, He's got some drywall and some insulation that's falling on him. There's a person. In some ways, I mean, we'll never know. Maybe the insulation and drywall helped protect him a little bit from, from that and heat that was definitely building building up inside the structure. Um, but yeah, we were able to see everything just fine with, with our lights at that point because we had that significant lift from that unidirectional vent that was coming through the door and then pushing itself out the gable. Cool. I love the way you described everything. What, what takeaways do you have off of this and that are going to keep with you that you're going to every crew you work out, you work with from here on out, you're like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta talk about this or something you're going to use in training. Yep, absolutely. Um, so a personal for me, um, our radios, we, on our radios, we have a lapel mic and, and those, we, we wear those per SOG. Our lapel mics actually have a radio channel knob. We can change our channels on that knob. We can also change the channels on the radio itself, which is pretty standard, uh, the knob to change the channels. The call that we had had previously for the CO activation, um, which was was benign, um, I was operating off of Fire 2. That's two clicks of the knob. And I, because it was, because I was tired in that moment, and it was just, oh, this is one of those just basic CO calls. Rather than using my lapel, I used my radio. I clicked a two. When we left, just being so um, ready to get back into the bed, I failed to click my radio back off to dispatch. I, I didn't bring it off that fire too. So when we get to the fire, in my mind, because I just wasn't as alert on that earlier call, I was I was on fire too. So when I got to my lapel and I popped two, which is what I normally do, one two to put me on the on the that dedicated fire channel, I was at the time on fire four. 
And I didn't know that. So when we went in, when we found our victim, I radioed out, we have a Vic. It was not getting to our IC. Fortunately, we got him out super quick. And because everything was so closely confined, it was a quick face to face. But for me, it was a, it was a wake up call to say, Hey, on these routine calls that we go on all the time, make sure your shit squared away. Whenever you get back, <laughs> make sure everything's back to normal. We have our routines, get, get, get back to that space so that when you do have a call that is significant, like we had, um, and you're operating, um, on that just muscle memory, you're at a hard reset going into that. So that's the takeaway for me. We've talked about that, but that's a big thing for me. Um, one big thing for us, and it's something we've talked a lot about is what was so important for us in that call was we knew that building super well. Like we knew how it was completely laid out because we go into it often. And we, it's, it's, it's a practice that I have with my guys and that, um, I continue even after this call, if we go anywhere where I know this is a usual spot, I tell them, particularly let's say an apartment complex, because everything's set up the same. When we get in here, you guys memorize this layout, like, remember where's the den, where's the kitchen, where's the bathroom, where the beds, kind of get that in your system. Obviously we can't memorize every single floor plan of every single residential dwelling in our district. That's near impossible. Um, we can, you were all trained when they're on the outside of a building to look at those windows, kind of have ideas where bathrooms are going to be, where there's going to possibly be a bedroom. But on those places we go to routinely, walk walk in them, but don't have a routine mindset. Look at those places. You're coming in here for difficulty breathing, but Lord of mercy, you may get toned out tonight and you're coming in here and there's a dude tucked away in a bathroom with fire all around them. So knowing those spaces. So that was a big takeaway for us was we felt like it went so quickly and so smoothly in a lot of ways because we knew the building so doggone well because we're just, we're just in it all the time. So that's a big takeaway for us is pre-plan, pre-plan, pre-plan. And it doesn't have to be a formal pre-plan, just these spots you're going into all the time for medicals that we, we all do it in the entire fire service in the country. We're always popping in. Don't be so routine that you're not paying attention to the layout because you never know when you're going to go back in that building and have a completely different call and you can't see shit and you really need to need, need, need to know that space. Well, so that's another one. Um, and then I think the other is we go into so many of these fires and we just don't expect to find victims. We just don't expect it because we go into so many where everybody's out and it was a wake up call for us. Yeah. We were told there was somebody in there, but we need to routinely be going into these spaces thinking there could be somebody in here and what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So um, we actually have gotten back to the station and we, we ask ourselves the question, you know, that guy was a buck 50 easy to move. What if he was 350? How, how would that have gone? And we've actually in our bathrooms, which are smaller, we've, we've set ourselves up and, and, and set things up to get, you know, how are we going to get somebody that's really large out of these spaces? So that's another big takeaway for us that we've been training on. So yeah, know your spaces, particularly those ones you go into all the time, and then have a, an arsenal of different ways to move different body types if necessary. Man, so many good things. Uh, we hit a, about our 30 minutes uh, before we go. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Uh, yeah. One, one thing I was thinking about um, before we kind of jumped on here, and I think that, and it kind of, it kind of marries to, I'm always expecting, 
I think so often, and we've talked about this, you know, we were able to get a company really quick on that victim when we pulled them out. But often when we train, um, particularly, and we all do it, we go in and we train on, hey, we're going to, there's a victim somewhere in here, you, you, you know, find the rescue, Randy, get them out. And we do that. And so often we find the rescue, Randy, and we get them out and we just assume, hey, boom, we're going to have, and we do have an EMS unit. I forgot to mention that in our original dispatch, we have an EMS unit coming. That EMS unit actually got delayed in coming because of the amount of traffic of trucks backing up. So it was difficult for them to reach us. So we had to do our own advanced medical work there. And in those scenarios, I think it was really great for us to say, what is going to be our game plan going forward that if we have, if and when we do have another victim, how are we going to allocate our resources appropriately? We were able to do it. The victim became, you know, we were able to focus, but it created a little bit of a hiccup for about a minute for IC to say, okay, we just, I now just pulled a, a company out of play that I would normally use in my standard firefighting operation. I've now dedicated them to a serious medical call, a burn victim. So how are we going to tactically, strategically in those scenarios quickly backfill? And again, using the blue card, having that on deck, but so many situations present differently. That was a very, very narrow street and in almost a kind of a one way in one way out. So getting those on deck resources was a challenge at first. And because we got them out so quickly, we just didn't have anybody on deck. So thinking through those scenarios at the IC level of, all the different possibilities. So that's something that we're still, you know, this beauty of the fire service. We're, we're talking through those things. We're, we're learning about those things and trying to, to, to play out all those possible um, scenarios and, and how we would appropriately and efficiently, effectively um, respond to them. So. Awesome. Well, Hannah, I appreciate you sharing your story and uh, I took away a lot from it. I'm hoping the listeners did too. Thanks if for that. anybody's involved in, yeah, for sure. If anybody's involved in a rescue, we want you to go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out that survey. That way we've got accurate information on what's going on in the fire service. Uh, we always like to share the stories. I don't know. I'm a, less of a numbers guy and more of a hearing stories guy. So this is where we try to bring that firefighter rescue survey to life. So if you want to share your story with us, um, I'm sure there's takeaways from everything. No matter, no matter how many times I talk to guys, they're like, it was really nothing. Yeah, we can learn something from every one of these nothings. And uh, get a hold of me, Grant Schwalbe at gmail.com, uh, Nick Ledeen or Justin McWilliams, and we'll get these recorded. And uh, really our goal is just to put one of these out every two weeks. So help us uh, keep pushing that search mission. And until next time, thanks. Yeah.